Hello, this is Leslie Garth of Tenzer, and this is Law to Fact. In this episode, I speak with Judge Lisa Margaret Smith, Magistrate Judge for the Southern District of New York, and Elizabeth Haub School of Law Professor Michael Mushlin about experiential learning during the first year of law school. I am so excited to share today's discussion. Professor Mushlin and Judge Smith offer a wonderful program here at PACE that provides context to doctrinal learning, offering 1L students a chance to practice the kind of learning skills that they'll use once they enter the profession. This episode is important to faculty and students alike. Students who don't have the benefit of introduction to courtroom experience through their own classes will learn how to gain some exposure to the kind of legal experiences of which we speak in the podcast. The podcast is also of value to professors and provides a springboard for fostering active learning in their own classes. This is our final discussion before the holiday break, and we are ending with a good one. Enjoy. All right, well, thank you both for coming, and I'm so excited for you to be here. And this is a little bit of a different type of discussion because what we're discussing today is pedagogy, which is how we teach, how we communicate. Most of you listeners are in the classroom, especially in where 1L year, you're only in the classroom. And I am just privileged to have Professor Mike Mushlin and Judge Lisa Smith here with me today to talk about an innovative idea that they've taught here at Pace, and one that probably isn't taught at any of your schools because it's the first of its kind, but certainly there are aspects of it that you can incorporate into your daily law school experience. And that program, well, I'll let you guys describe the program. Well, the first thing I would say about the program is, as far as we are aware, uh, we are the only... Uh, the, it, we, we're the only situation where in a first-year class there's an active collaboration between a full-time law professor and a sitting federal federal judge. And I think the opportunity, and I'm in, incredibly grateful to Judge Smith for agreeing to embark on this, on this adventure, which we've now done for almost a decade. And uh, we, I believe, and I think we have some empirical support for the notion that this really enriches uh, the first-year curriculum. And I think down the road that what, what we have done and what we're doing um, inures to the benefit of people as they enter the profession. And, and so I'm really delighted that we have the opportunity to share our experience with you, not just to, to, to beat our own drum, but because I really think that what we're doing with some modesty here uh, is important. and I've actually had practicing attorneys come up to me and say, you're not going to remember me, but I was in one of hmm. your and Professor oh, Mushlin's wow, classes, wow. and I learned so much, and it made such an impact on me. Uh, it's It really seems to have done exactly what we wanted it to do. The, the idea really came out of several lunch discussions that um, in Mike the same and I restaurant. had. Yeah, yes, in the <laughs> same restaurant. the same lunch. What restaurant? Just curious. PJ. PF Chang's. PF Chang, right. Yes. In the mall, right. And we started talking about our own entry into the profession and how we felt that law school had just not prepared us. And it was such a meeting of the minds. Right, right. Um, right. Uh, we both felt 
uh, unprepared as we walked yes. into real world practice. So when you graduated, you felt and unprepared. even yes. and so me too, back, right? and we okay. both shared that. And I well, felt I, I did too. I felt really angry. I went to a good law school. I had a great education in legal doctrine. I think I was I was really taught to think as a lawyer, and I am very grateful. But I go out into practice in legal services. The first complaint I ever saw was when I drafted. And I, I still feel sorry for that, that, that client. And my brother, I have an older brother who had gone to medical school, and I had seen what an amazingly different experience he had hands-on before he was given a medical degree. I was given a license to practice law without having any idea how to practice law. It's, it's funny that you say that because as I read through your article, and yeah. your article is called The Professor and the Judge. It's in the... Um, Journal of Legal Education, what I was thinking about was your program, and we're going to get to describing the actual program, really focuses on lawyering and not just thinking like a lawyer, which is what you said, which is really, I mean, from time immemorial, that's all we ever did was teach lawyer, law students how to think like a lawyer, how to think in a way that allows them to make that rule-based reasoning that's different from arguing with your parent, you know, and, and wins a case. But tell me a little bit about the program. So we started talking about exactly what Mike just mentioned, um, that we didn't know how to draft a complaint. Michael was in legal services. I was in the DA's office. We were both at the entry level, just trying to get through each day. And uh, so we thought about, in particular, civil procedure, where students are just learning rules that are in a book, it's black and white, it doesn't take a great deal of thought to read the rule, but really embracing it and understanding it seemed to us to be the challenge for these students because so few of them have any context for these rules. So we thought, how about if we We're not trying to be a trial practice class or a document preparation class, but how about if we give them some facts and they've learned the rules and we say, draft a complaint. And that's what they're doing. They have some sample complaints in the book usually. Um, And so we created a set of facts based on a case which had actually gone to trial before me, uh, and we changed the names and and we Those made were it cute names. <laughs> we made it very Thank simple. You. Thank you. Um, uh, we took out some of the kind of extraneous legal issues to make it very simple, so that it's a simple tort action, uh, diversity jurisdiction, things that the students would be able to understand early on in their first semester of law school. And they would prepare the complaint. I would then review them and come in. I would choose maybe four or six of the complaints and identify things that had been done right, maybe things that were missing where they uh, didn't pick up on one of the requirements of the rules. I talk every time about how There's no perfect method for drafting a complaint. You have rules that give you sort of the basic requirements and the outer limits, but 
within that uh, span, you have quite a bit of uh, possibility in terms of how to draft a complaint. And that alone is valuable to students because students, especially students who come from undergraduate school right away, think there's a right way and a wrong way. So just... Showing them a document or asking them to produce a document that's different from reading these cases that students feel very uncomfortable challenging the legitimacy of. To some to to some degree, it's another approach to how to think like a lawyer Mm -hmm. because it's how to take these black and white rules and apply them to the real world, but but we as as legal professionals rarely ask students to do that. Right, right. Well, I think it actually develops the ability to, th- to think like a lawyer. And I think of all the things you said, which are so great, the most important word you used uh, just now was the word context. That, 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 what, that what this approach does is it, it allows students to learn how to understand complex legal doctrine in the context in which that doctrine is developed. And, and as Judge Smith said, the idea of giving that context of practice is not to teach them how to draft a complaint. We've had them do depositions. It's not to teach them how to do a deposition. We've had them draft discovery plans. It's not to teach them how to draft a discovery plan. We've had them argue summary judgment motions, all in the context of this one case, which is the paradigm that they take from, from, from August to December with them. Mm-hmm. Um, none of it none of it is designed as a clinical experience at all, and we're very clear about that. But, but what we have found is that it enriches their ability to do what it is that I am charged with having them do, and that is develop the ability to think like a lawyer to do law to fact. And that's what makes it not a skills class. Exactly. But a one-off class. Exactly. So just to that's say, the point. Right. And that's what's so unusual about it. Yes. And I'm sad that it's unusual. Right. And that's the point of this podcast is to maybe make it less and, unusual. And can I just say one other thing? Yeah. Is that what was fascinating to me, we came to this intuitively from our own experience and from our design to help to help people yes. not, not have the ox that we had. Right. I mean, that was really why we were doing it. Uh, and it's because then, we both want to be teachers. Right, we both right, want to right. somehow impart this ability yeah, to students. Yeah. Well, because we've been, we all been to law school and, and we all practice, and both of us practiced law extensively. Right. And so, right. uh, you know, we sort of ha- felt the pain that we wanted to avoid inflicting on other people. But we'll, And then we decided. Well, look, this is what we're doing makes sense to share with the world. So we presented on it at national conferences, mm-hmm. and then we decided to write the article. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, being the law professor, I went that and, and, you know, went into the literature, and I was shocked to find in the literature so much discussion about the importance of doing exactly what we were doing. Right. So it was really fascinating to me. Usually you go into the literature, you find out ideas, and then you bring those ideas forward. We came to this idea intuitively, and then I found that that we both found that the, the Carnegie Institute has talked about doing exactly what we're doing. And this is different than clinical education. And, and, right, it is we, different. and we found that what we are doing 
is happening in medical schools, that they're introducing like a Cornell Medical School, they're introducing, they have a course that, that has a, a direct parallel to what we're doing, that is to give a clinical experience to first-year medical students who hardly know where the kidney is, right. but to give them that context so that when they learn where the kidney right. is and when they do anatomy, they understand why they're doing it. We saw the same thing in dentistry school. Right. We saw the same thing in engineering yeah. school. Yeah. And we saw we saw a lot of discussion about it about legal education without any specific uh, concrete way about how to how to address the problem, right. but the same diagnosis of the problem. So you want to hear something interesting as you're speaking? I did a podcast with Brian Garner a couple weeks yes. ago. You know the right he's yes. the fame writer. Yes. And he had written a book about contract law. I teach contract law. And halfway through the podcast, it occurred to me, I've been teaching contract law for maybe 12 years. I've never shown them a contract. <laughs> right, right. I remember that. Right? Remember that. Exactly. And, and that's, your that's, that's your point. point. That's, that's your point. That's your point. That's the point. Right. And, and you know, the, the, the values of it, for, the values of it go even a little bit beyond what I've just talked about. I think that, that it assists people in understanding and mastering the, the ability to 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 work with complex legal doctrine mm-hmm. but it also it also attacks a cynicism that can develop in the first year of law school that um that in you know that very famous book that I read when I years and years decades ago when wow. I was in law school yeah the bramble bush oh that one by yeah, yeah, Lillard, yeah. By, um, uh, where he talks about the importance of the Socratic method, which I think we both embrace. I think the Socratic <laughs> method is the, is the best thing that ever happened to me since kindergarten. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I think it's really, really important. But it has its drawbacks, as everything has its has drawbacks. And one of the drawbacks is that it gives a st- students a cynicism that you can argue anything and anything goes. And he talks about it, too. And he says that the, fir- the first year... Socratic method is valuable, but if that's all you do, which is what happens at most law schools, then you can you have a danger of of creating a um, amoral legal mind. He says a legal machine, not oh. a legal mind, oh. a legal machine. Right. And then he says, and we write about this in the article. He says, well, you can address that later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we think <laughs> right not so much not so much it, it, what you learn in your first year is so foundational right and uh, right. it 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 leads to the way you approach the rest of it and so what we're trying to foster among these students is really active learning not just sitting back and listening and occasionally answering some kind of a challenging question, but actively taking what they're learning and putting it into some context, some practice. Um, uh, Another uh, part of the exercise that we've done a number of times is to have the students come to my courtroom to listen to actual arguments in particular summary judgment arguments. We try to do it right after they've learned uh, the rule with regard to summary judgment. I will um, provide to Michael the the pleadings and the um, uh, motion papers and arguments of counsel in advance. So the students have if they do their work, the students have some idea of what they're about to listen to. And we have always asked the attorneys, 
if they are willing to respond to questions from the students after the argument is over and they have universally said, oh, happy to do it. Hmm. So they have been able to respond to students. And this year, much like the first two years that we did it, we're actually bringing the argument here to the law school and the entire first year class is coming to hear this. When you went to law school, either of you, did you ever go into a courtroom? I went into a courtroom, I think, once in a in the context of a clinic. Right. So um, it was a housing court clinic. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. It, you know, we prepared for three months for a five-minute court appearance. Yeah. Not very realistic. And my appearance was my first opportunity to even see what the inside of the courtroom looked like. We've heard from so many students about how valuable it is to come into a courtroom. In addition to what we do in our civil procedure class, I've also taught evidence, as has Michael, and uh, I require the students to do a court visit, any court they want to go to, and then write a brief memo about their experience. Almost universally, what the students write include, I really appreciate having this assignment because otherwise I may never have walked into yeah. a courtroom. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, it's extraordinary what that kind of experience can do for students' understanding of what's happening. And I actually recall when I was a student I had some friends who had, you know, parents or older brothers or uncles who were lawyers Mm -hmm. and who had been in a courtroom. And frankly, they were steps ahead of the rest of us Mm -hmm. having that going back to the word context for what they're doing. I think what Judge Smith talked about is the most important single thing. Uh, that we do. I have the students write their reflections on the experience, and it's inspiring to read uh, what they what what they what they say. I just if I can just read a couple of things. Oh yeah. This is these comes from the from the students. And, okay, terrific. Uh, having an actual judge come and get involved was inspiring. Hearing her input about how she would have ruled on the case that, uh, and the thought process and how to decide a motion is a different experience than one I would have received from the teacher. The collaboration with Judge Smith was infinitely helpful, and I felt it was a wonderful part of the class. The ex- exercises were so valuable in giving me understanding of the course materials. I really enjoyed and valued having a judge come in. The judge gave us a great real world, and the, this student underlined that. Hmm. Perspective on how things are done. It was also valuable to have a different perspective on how the law works. Frankly, I feel that my Supro class was much better due to Judge the judge's participation. It was an eye-opening experience another one had. And another one, I thought, said it was amazing having Judge Smith. They might have mentioned me also. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but really, honestly, talking to them after they go to class is... I, I, I want to use a word that I don't intend to be an exaggeration. It's profound. Wow. It's profound. Because they're not just going to class to see it, just wandering in. It's, it's, it's always a case that deals 
with a subject that we have studied in a traditional law school manner. We've mm-hmm. had motions to dismiss that have dealt with Iqbal. We've had we've had discovery disputes. We've had summary judgment motions. All the things that that the students have studied beforehand, yeah. and that not not they get to see some really good lawyering. They get to see some really bad lawyering. They get to see, it, 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 it's, it's an amazing experience. And if I can only do one thing that we do, that would be the thing wow. that we would do. Wow. Uh, we've even done an alternate dispute resolution right. exercise oh, wow. with them wow. where they worked right. on trying to settle right. Uh, right. this right. matter. Right. And that had real value for them as well. A little less rule-based, right. but very practical in terms of keeping their minds going toward the notion of how the rules affect the process. Right, because you're, you're using rules. Yes. Um, I want to play devil's advocate for just yes, a second, yes. if you don't mind. Yeah. And so I'm wondering, as you're saying this, how much more labor-intensive it is for you as faculty... And also, although your comments disputed my concern for students of saying, oh, I have more work in my class than you do in your class. So I'm just wondering, um, just to get kind of dispel that if possible or not, if you could address um, those thoughts. Yeah, well, it, from, we, did, we collected data from the students, at least self-reporting data yeah. from the students on how much more work it was for them. And it turned out that it, it was over the course of a semester something like 15, 20 hours. That they probably maybe that that was additional, that I thought was 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 clearly was clearly worth it. Yeah, that's like an hour now, a week or two. And yeah, it's nothing. Yeah. Now, now, so it's not it's not an extraordinary amount. And in terms of the classroom time, it it, it, it most of this class. If you come to my class, most uh, most of it is a traditional law school class mm-hmm. with this used to give context. So it doesn't take a lot to to put the context in. Now, I will say that uh, the class has shrunk because of decisions that faculty has made, which is consistent with what's happening nationally. When we started, this was a two-semester, six-credit oh, okay. class. okay, I think it's shrunk in size, it's shrunk in time. And now it's shrunk to right. four credits, so right. that we have, we have had to, to sh- I, I would never give up on the collaboration as long as she's willing <laughs> to do it, I'd, ever. Right. Ever. Right. But uh, we've had to shrink. Okay. Uh, the, the, the kinds of things that we can do with the students because I have a curriculum that I need to follow and I, I need, there are materials that I have to get to deliver to the students in ways that they can develop their, you know, Socratically. And yeah. what about the time you spend on feedback and all of that? I mean, for professors listening... Um... Yeah, not... not t- you know, I mean, work... We've worked collaboratively mm-hmm. ourselves, so mm-hmm. you know I've shared the work a lot with with uh, with with Judge Smith. I look at all the complaints. She looks at all the complaints. That takes some time, but it's we're doing it on a on a pass fail basis. And I'm telling the students we're not grading the work uh, based on on the quality of the work. We're basing we're, we're grading the work based on their effort. Got it. And, Got it. And their and their contribution. So if they if they do okay with if I if I can see that they're doing that. Then I'll then I'll give them credit for the class. I reserve about five points mm-hmm. for this, and I expect every student who participates, who comes, who gives me reflections, who does the exercises, 
who who um, takes advantage of this opportunity will get those five points. Right. But if they if they don't, they're, they're not going to. No, and not to. over time, yeah. we've added to the number yeah. of exercises that right. we have available. Right. But once we create the exercise, yes, which takes it. a little time, yeah, but then it's right, set. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And we yes. can use it. Right. Any given semester or not, depending right. on what's available. Right. And if uh, the heavens should open and and uh, uh, joy should occur, and we had you know eight credits yeah, to, so to we use, right. we could fill yes. all of them in again right. with almost no additional right. preparation. Yeah. The other thing is we've surveyed the students about which <coughs> exercises they find the most valuable, uh-huh. and it pretty much conforms to what I had thought. One which is, is they va- value by far the highest. Is the courtroom court experience? Yeah. But, but the second highest is the is the complaint. Wow. And so we've kept those two things. Right. Right. In the yeah. in, in the in the experiment. But so but we did a whole lot more when it was six credits than uh, we yeah. can do in this four. And I have to say I have the benefit of I teach contracts to Michael's um, CivPro and they love it. They because because they feel important too. In addition yes. to everything, they yes. feel yes. valued. That's Students feel valued that you, that they're important enough to go into a courtroom to be trusted to try and draft a complaint. And I have to say, I think it gives the students, I don't know, I hate to use yeah. the je ne sais quoi, but, you yeah. know, something no, special. You know, along that line, one of the things that, that I require is that they dress, when we go to court, they dress well. for court. And and, <laughs> and and that and we take a photograph. Yeah, that's great. That's great. That's great. <laughs> and, and I and I think that there's something that I can't even describe. Yeah. There's a value in that that I can't even describe. But I know it's there. Yeah. It's also interesting. I've talked to students uh, who were not in this civil procedure class who've said, oh, I heard great things yeah, about it. Yeah, I yeah, wish yeah, I had yeah. been in that class. Yeah. So they yeah. do talk about it mm-hmm. more broadly than just in this class. Mm-hmm. And it it does inspire others to say, gee, that sounds like a great experience. And that's, you know, our goal is to give these students something to really remember. Right. Uh, think, think about it for a moment. How much do you remember from your first year civil procedure class? Sure. <laughs> I remember giving apples to my professor at the end of the year because he was from Washington State. <laughs> um, so we, I'm going to use your words that we talked about before we, we went on, on um, this recording, that the theme is kind of out of the classroom and into the courtroom. And as we've discussed, this is a one-of-a-kind experience. So to students who don't have the benefit of being in your class, no matter where they are in the country, what would you suggest they do? Any student, any non-student, can walk into a courtroom anywhere. Uh, There are a few narrow categories of court proceedings which are not open to the public. Usually, Usually juvenile proceedings, certain types of family court proceedings, There may be occasional criminal hearings that would not be open to the public, but that's a tiny percentage of court proceedings. Any student can walk into any courthouse. There will be some kind of a security guard at the front, and the student can ask, are there any proceedings going on today? It might be a preliminary criminal hearing. It might be a suppression hearing in a criminal case. It might be a pretrial conference in a civil case, or it might be a civil trial or a criminal trial. And the students can walk in. 
Someone might approach the student and say, can I help you? And it's perfectly fine to say, I'm a student, I'm just here to observe. After all, the Constitution says our courtrooms are open to the public. We don't engage in star chamber proceedings. We have public courtrooms in courthouses that are open to the public for the most part every business day and in local courts they often have court in the evenings Mm. so it's a matter of doing just a little investigating finding out when and where there may be court proceedings sometimes depending on the community there may be a legal newspaper that has the court proceeding schedule printed in the newspaper. That's true in the New York Law Journal, for instance. And it's also true at the appellate level. We have, in New York State, we have four appellate divisions. Those court proceedings with, with oral arguments are open to the public. The circuit court, which for the most part in this circuit sits in New York City, is open to the public. You might have to ask, where do I go to watch the proceedings? But if you're going to be a lawyer, you've got to have that skill to figure out where you're supposed to be. So now's as good a time as any to develop that skill. But I I, I have uh, uh, required students when I taught evidence to do a court visit. I think I mentioned that before. And they universally respond what an amazing experience it was. And I think that most of your listeners would have that same experience. It's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. So can I I say a word to my my dear colleagues in the academy? Yes, Um, please do. My fellow professors and and deans in law schools is, is... you know, there's, there's, you can't, there's nothing like Judge Smith, uh, uh, but there are other judges, <laughs> and, and who, who, and I was an associate dean here for seven years, and so I, I spent a lot of time with judges who were interested in legal education, and I know from that experience that there are other judges around the country who would respond to calls for assistance in ways maybe not as elaborate as Judge Smith has done. But, but who would be available to help give the context in ways that we've talked about. And, and you know, it's, uh, this is an experiment we embarked on 10 years ago. And one thing that I have to say I'm disappointed in is um, I don't know that it's really been replicated that I'm aware of. Yeah. And, and, and I think it's an idea that has, that, you know, uh, candidly has value for the first year doesn't have to be in a civil procedure class could be in a contract class could be in any class but if that first year particularly that first semester when a person is beginning their legal education is transforming themselves from a college student into a professional i think it's 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 critically important to do something in that year to give those students that contextual understanding that we've striven to to do and, and so now that I, you've given me a little bit of a microphone, I, I, I would like to, to, to make a frank uh, 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 request uh, for, for my colleagues in the, in, the, in, the, in the academy, who I know are very serious about teaching, to at least consider this notion. And I think that that is, is a good plea that should be answered. And um, I will list in our um, liner notes 
your contact information, and I encourage uh, particularly members of the Academy and judges to read your article, The Professor and the Judge Introducing First-Year Students to the Law and Context, which is in volume 63 of the journal Legal Education, page 460, because it doesn't just describe what you did, it lays out what you should do, what one could should do to make this happen, and it gives the data points to support it. Thank you both so much. This has been so interesting. I, for one, I'm going to change my team. Now I have to bring in a contract now. I've got to find one room. I'm going to be very busy. Get ready for next semester. But I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you for having us. Thank, Thank you. you. So that's our discussion with Judge Smith and Professor Mushlin, our last episode of the semester. Hope you enjoyed it. I want to take a moment to wish you and your families and all of the people who support you going through law school a happy and healthy new year. Happy holiday for all of the holidays you may celebrate and a nice relaxing break. And thank you for giving me support. I love doing the podcast and as long as it grows, I will continue to do it. So keep giving me those likes. Actually, here's a holiday gift for me if you want to give me one. If you want to give us a recommendation, recommend us to a friend, like, subscribe us. That's all I ask of you and it would be super wonderful. It makes me feel so good. All right, well, that's it for today. That's it for the semester. Once again, happy holidays and a healthy 2020. We'll see you in January on Law to Fact.